0: Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Amen. Hey everybody, it's good to see you. It's good to be back. I want to say thank you to Temple Worship last week. For those of you who were here with us, we took some time. To, um, to pray and to, to worship God in our last service, and that was a lot of fun. So I wanna thank the team for doing that. Uh, and I wanna do that more often, if you guys are down with that. Um, I'd like to maybe quarterly have time, seasons like that where we're, we're worshiping together and, and praying in service. If we can, you know, it's been really hard for us to connect, hasn't it been? I mean, it feels like even with All Church Retreat, I, I still felt things were really disconnected and busy. The block party was really sweet for all of us to come together and to show each other a bunch of love in one space. And, um, and the fall retreat is going to be that as well. And so we want everybody to come uh, as, as, as much as possible. If you have very specific requirements in terms of, uh, you know, COVID or whatever it might be, make sure you let us know and communicate those with us. We're going to be very careful with food, serving food, et cetera, et cetera. You won't be getting your own food this year. Uh, someone will be plating it for you, things like that to, to make it a little bit safer. Uh, but with that said, uh, it is absolutely crucial if you plan on coming that you start planning now and that you ask off and uh, and you start making plans um, and so be conversing about that, thinking about that and, and be ready for that it's going to be a good time. Pastor Dan Renault is going to be there this year yeah and then um, also it sounds like Living Faith Lee Summit is going to be joining us for the first time at one of these retreats and so So that'll be fun as well. Their college and young adult ministry will be joining us, and so I think it'll be extra special in that way. And I've also heard from Tony Godfrey. I think a few of their young folks plan on coming out and things like that, so I'm excited about that. It's good to be with you. It's good to be back in the pulpit. It's good to be looking uh, back at Acts chapter 16. We should be finishing out this chapter today, and uh, and so everybody go ahead and turn open there. If you need to, go to to kaya.live in the teaching section. You can... Open up the PDF of the PowerPoint. If I'm moving too fast for you this morning, you can follow along there and, and make sure you get your, your notes written down. Uh, we don't want you to miss anything. Um, we've been in Acts 16 looking at this missionary journey of Paul and Silas uh to, to Europe, right? And they're in the city of Philippi. And uh, and they've run into a bunch of weird stuff, right? They've run into a bunch of weird stuff, and, and, and we, we, we acknowledge the fact that that uh, they've been in prison, right? They've been in prison because Paul cast a devil out of a woman. Yeah, you're going to have to go back and get that story. I know that sounds crazy, but, but uh, you know, it's the Bible. And so uh, if you need to, go back and check out that message. But uh, these men of God, these these examples to us, Paul and Silas, two men that we're looking to as examples for our life and living out the Great Commission, they're in prison and they uh, find themselves at midnight with a beaten and bloody bodies, right, half naked. Um, I feel like I should set it, naked, right? When you're preaching, I feel like you always say naked, naked. That seems appropriate. So half naked, and um, their feet are in stocks. They can't do anything, and they find themselves in a really, really dark moment of their lives. And, man, we, we've spent this time with them, and I feel like, even just reading about it and studying it has just been so powerful to me to imagine myself in that kind of setting, imagining that kind of trial has been very, very difficult and challenging for me. And, and I can't help but make a connection. You know, this week I got breakfast with a, a dear brother in our ministry who's, who's going through a, a midnight uh, of his own. And he recently lost a loved one, and, and he is, uh, he's hurting. He's grieving over that and just in conversation, he, you know, he told me that at this moment in his life, he feels himself divided in, in, in two ways, okay? There's one part of him who recognizes that with this loss comes a greater sense of urgency, a, a greater desperation to bring honor to the name of Jesus Christ, uh, Christ uh, a, a greater desperacy to share the gospel message that he knows has the, has the power to save souls, and there's this part of him that's filled with joy and excitement and preparation to move forward in his faith. But there's this other part, this part that is tempting him to despair, right? And you guys can imagine, that's that's how every trial is that way, right? There's a part of him right now that that feels uh, that the pain and the suffering is overwhelming and he's tempted to despair and and to, to spend time in contemplation on the loss and the difficulty that this midnight brings to his life. And uh, I think that in many ways, all of us can relate to that, can't we? Many of us have faced midnights like that, where, where we feel torn. In one hand, we know what is expected of us, and we know that, that God sees us and loves us and, and desires for us to move forward and grow in the midst of trial. But then there's a part of us that always is tempted to, 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 to loathe our circumstances. and to to retreat back into our pain and into depression and into fear and into frustration. But it's absolutely crucial for us to know that when darkness settles over our life and we feel restless and we uh, we, we are feeling fearful and our circumstances seem unsure, that your God does see you. And the question in these moments is always... Whether or not we're going to choose joy or we're going to choose despair. And that's really what we've been looking at uh, over the last couple of weeks is how do we respond to these moments of suffering, right? That's what we've been looking at. And in the midst of the night, in the midst of Paul and Silas's suffering, they chose to protest. And there was only one stand to take in their mind. There was only one stand to take. And it wasn't, it wasn't to retreat into despair or to be frustrated or to be sad by their circumstances. But it was, choose, it was a choice to stand up and to fight. And the fight was a fight not against the Roman regime. Right? It wasn't a protest of, against governmental authorities or Socio-political issues, their fight was against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. It was a fight against the pain of their flesh and the temptation to quit. It was a fight for the glory of God and the majesty of his son's name, and the weapons of their choice were prayer and praise. That was their weapon. And as they prayed and they sang, the testimony of Christ's goodness resonated in the prison cell. And the other prisoners could hear them protesting in prayer and in worship. And as they prayed and as they sang, they entered the presence of the Lord. And He heard them. And He came to their aid. And the prison cell began to rattle and to shake. And God brought a very unique earthquake an earthquake that loosed them of their bands and opened the prison doors. And the last we saw, Paul and Silas, they stood as free men in the midst of the prison cell. But today we're going to look at the impact of their prayer and the praise on another person that enters into our story, a jailer, a young man, who's there to guard the prison. And we're going to see that the result of their prayer and their praise did not just impact their own circumstances, but their choice to worship the Lord had impact on those who needed God most desperately. Are you guys with me this morning? Yeah. Let's pray. Can we pray? I need, I, need, I need prayer. And we all need prayer that we might hear the words of the Lord. Okay? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for this mighty and powerful story. Uh, one that, in, on one hand, seems so outside of our reality. Earthquakes that open prison doors. Lord, followers that are bloody and beaten these are things that we've we've never experienced but lord inspirationally we know exactly what this is like we know pain and suffering and we know trial we know temptation and we know despair and we know depression and we know fear and we have insecurities of our own and god we acknowledge right now that you have the power and the love and the grace and the mercy necessary for us to stand in worship even even when things around us seem hopeless and impossible. And Lord, we know that if our choice is joy and our choice is to turn to you and to live in the power and the authority of your gospel message, Lord, we know that you're going to begin to open doors in our life, things that we would have never have imagined, opportunities that we could have never orchestrated in the power of our flesh and the the cunning of our own Of our own planning, things that that we could never even we could never even think of. Lord, you you make ways where there seems no way. And so, Lord, we we acknowledge that this morning and we pray that, Lord, even in our circumstances right now, in our temptation to despair or to turn away, it's day-to-day. That battle is day to day in our lives. Lord, We, we know that tomorrow we might feel joy today, but tomorrow we might wake up with a with a an ominous sense of despair because of our circumstances. And Lord, we pray, Lord, you would deliver us from that. That we, we would have the grace and the power to turn towards you and worship you and to praise you and to pray to you, knowing, Lord, that you have something, you have something for us and you will open doors Amen. and you will give us opportunities. And we will have, we will once again be able to rejoice in what you've done. We know that for a fact. And so we ask you for help today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, key point number one for this morning, we're going to get right into it, is what we've been learning, and that is that our prayers and praises beckon God to open doors for the gospel. Okay? Our praises and our prayers beckon the Lord. They, They provoke Him. It stirs up His power and His love for us. And he opens doors for us to share the gospel. So let's turn to our story. Here, Paul and Silas stand. They're set free from their bonds. It says in verse 26, And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, okay, were introduced to this, this, uh, this jailer, this soldier who's given to stand guard in the prison. Awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. He wants to end his life. He wants to end his life. And so most Ro- Roman jailers would have been outfit with a small sword that was intended to protect the prison from attack and, and to protect himself against the prisoners. But in this case, the first thought is, in the midst of his trial and his desperation, is to turn that sword on himself and to commit suicide. Now, now why? I mean, that seems like a, a fairly c- crazy turn of events, don't you think? Like, like that's his knee-jerk reaction, is that the only choice for him is to commit suicide. But what you need to understand is that for a Roman jailer in, in his situation, if he would have been accused of allowing the jailers to flee, that, that for him the Roman authority would have, would have tortured him and, and killed him. That would have been his fate. And in some historical accounts, uh, they might even have, have tortured him to the point where there's, he would have been burnt alive and, or, or crucified on a, on a burning cross. Okay, and so in his mind... The best alternative would have just been to commit suicide. And he's got a family, and he's got all these other people to think of. But rather than putting them through that and going through that torture, in his mind, in his desperation, the best thing to do was to simply just commit suicide and be done with it. That's pretty intense. Now, we know this to be true because Acts chapter 12, we hear about Peter escaping from prison, right? God does a similar thing in Peter's life, where the doors open up, an angel leads him out of the jail, the jail, uh, and leads him out into the street. And Herod, in verse eighteen, kills every single one of the jailers that were on duty that night. And so we know this from biblical account that this is the way it goes. Now isn't it crazy how the tables have turned so quickly, right? So Paul and Silas, just moments ago, they were beaten and they were in stocks and now the tables have turned. They're set free and the jailers, the one who were oppressing them, are now in a situation where they're desperate. And because because this jailer doesn't know God, he doesn't turn to the Lord in prayer and in praise. That isn't even in his mind. Suicide is in his mind. It's pretty wild, isn't it? Now let's for a second consider Paul and Silas. Okay, Paul and Silas are are standing here, free men, and they've got two choices. They've got two choices. Option one, option one, is to leave immediately. Which I think would be most for most of us. That would be our natural reaction, would it not? Okay, God did this crazy miracle. Isn't it amazing? Look at what he's done for us. I mean, we were in the midst of temptation and trial, and now we've been delivered from that, and, and we have a way of escape, right? You know, think about 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says that for every temptation and trial that enters into a believer's life, God, God is willing and ready to make a way out of that, a way of escape out of that temptational, temptation that we might have, not have to bear something that we can't We can't bear a burden that we can't bear. God wants to give us ways out. And so it would be really easy for us to see the doors open and for us to be loose from our bonds. The first thought would be, man, let's get the heck out of here. Let's flee. Anyone with a reasonable mind would want to escape the pain and the suffering and the darkness that they'd been enduring, right? So this is an opportunity. So that's option one that's the that's the reasonable option but option 2 is to stay which is stupid it's idiotic i mean what kind of motivation would it require for a person to say no i'm going to stay i'm going to stay right here i'm going to i'm going to stay right here where i was beat where i was suffering where i was in stocks where I was in pain, I'm going, to stay right, I'm going to stay right here. What would it require in someone's thinking to make a decision to stay? Let's for a moment look at Paul and his perspective. Acts chapter 20, verse 24, just a few chapters ahead of where we're at, we hear Paul say the following, Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of grace, of the grace of God, right? That's his mindset. His life is not dear to him. See, his perspective is that if I die, I die, but I'm going, no matter what my outcome is, I'm going to do it for the sake of the gospel. Because that's what I'm here for. That's, that's the purpose of my life, is, is to live, to spread the name of Jesus Christ I mean, it was the reason that he came to Philippi in the first place, all the things that he endured just to get there, yeah? He says to himself, he says, I don't even even count my life dear, and so whether to go or to stay, it's only to his glory. In Acts chapter 15, we've said this over and over again. In fact, it's probably been the banner of our sermons for the last few weeks, is that Paul and Silas, Paul and, 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 and Barnabas, these were the type of men that hazarded, this is what Acts chapter 15 says, verse 26, hazarded their lives for Christ's namesake. And so if that's your way of thinking, suddenly, suddenly, option two seems a little bit reasonable. It's almost like these men preferred other people's souls over their own lives. It's almost like you would have to be Jesus Christ to do that. It's almost like you'd you'd have to be I don't know, Christ-like to choose to suffer in such a way that puts the soul of an individual and their eternal destiny over your own well-being. Acts chapter 16 verse 28. Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. He chose to stay. Why? I mean, you can hear it. Do thyself no harm. It doesn't have to go like that. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Do not end your life. We're here. Don't worry, we're not going anywhere. We're right here. It's crazy. That's so powerful to me. Key point number two, the the personal way of escape, the personal way of escape is never as glorious as the effectual open door. Your well-being and your livelihood is never as good and never as awesome as an opportunity To share the gospel with one person. So many of us, listen to me, so many of us are busy looking for ways out of life's problems. I mean, think about it. The majority of your life, I mean, even in your quiet time, is spent rehearsing your problems. Am I wrong? I mean, we're constantly making ways to better our lives or escape bad circumstances or difficulties that we face. So much of our life is given given to those types of things when we ought to be busy looking for opportunities to preach the gospel. I mean, if anything is going to preoccupy our thoughts, shouldn't it be that? Paul never once assumed that the ministry would be easy. He assumed that open doors would always come hard ways. He just assumed that. But we, we don't like it that way. We don't want it that way. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 9 says, For a great door and effectual, right? Now, that when we talk about that word effectual, it means it's like a, a, a fervent and intense and open, right? Wide open door. An effectual is opened unto me. So he's declaring that he's having these amazing opportunities. And listen what he says, and there are many adversaries. The two things always go hand in hand. Trial and adversary always comes with an effectual open door. You just have to determine which thing you're going to focus on. Where are you going to put your attention? In the fear of your circumstances? Or the fact that God's given you a privilege beyond compare. You know, we pray for, for opportunities with the lost all the time. We pray for open doors. That's what we do on Tuesday night, prayer after prayer. Every, every prayer, uh, prayer night, as soon as prayer meeting's over, a large group of us go up there and we pray specifically for the souls of the people that we know. We pray for open doors, don't we? But how many, how many open doors do we neglect daily because of self-interest or bondage to personal motivations? I mean, it's, it's one thing to be praying about open doors, but it's a whole other thing to take advantage of them. And so many of us are so self-consumed <laughs> and frankly are just motivated by such stupid, worthless trash That we can't even see the opportunities that are given to us every single day. We're we're completely blinded by our flesh. You know, the type of people that get gospel opportunities are the types of people that are more concerned with propagating the, the gospel than personal preservation. And we all, we all know, I mean, just think about the people in our ministry that seem to constantly be getting opportunities. Uh, you know, I want, I want to present the idea that maybe that's not because they're gifted at evangelism. Because we, we all know that we're all to do the work of an evangelist. I mean, at some level, all of us should be sharing the gospel, right? Right? I want to present to you the fact that, that some people have just mastered the idea in the presence of the Lord that their lives are actually worthless and that souls are important. And that's the thought that, medit- that they meditate on. That's, that, those are the types of prayers that they pray. Those are the types of thoughts that they think. And they've learned over time to put other people over themselves. That's what separates them from you. That's what separates Paul from us. So here we are in our story. In the midst of an earthquake, these prisoners are set free, and the jailer was flooded with fear, right? I mean, you can imagine that his adrenaline is pumping, and he's frantic. He's freaking out. And suddenly he hears the voice of Paul cry out, do thyself no harm. You know, just for a moment, imagine yourself in the jailer's shoes. This jailer had been hearing these two men worshiping for the last hour. And in his mind, he was probably thinking, these guys are so stupid. These guys are idiots. I mean, look at their situation. I mean, they must be completely deluded or crazy. And In a moment, in a blink of an eye, He hears Paul cry out. In the midst of this situation, he hears Paul cry out, do thyself no harm. His perspective of these men just changed like this. Mm. Immediately his perspective changes. When the jailer discovers that Paul and Silas could have escaped and didn't, he would have thought two things. A, their God is really big, that he could do this. And two their faith must be really big if they're willing to stay Suddenly his perspective of these men would have changed instantaneously and he would have turned his attention to them now listen to see, listen to see the reaction here Look at look at look to watch his desperation in this situation what does he do what is his reaction And as we hear his reaction, I want you to think for a second. When when someone is in need of Christ, this is what it sounds like. This is what it looks like when we encounter a person who's lost and they know that they're lost. Listen to what it says. Verse 29. Then he called for a light. And sprang in and came trembling and fell before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So, first of all, salvation requires light. Salvation requires light. Now, obviously, very literally, he needed a light to see. But inspirationally, here in the text, we know that whenever we see light in Scripture, it's a picture of truth. And what this man needed was the truth of God to to, to cause the darkness in his life to flee away. That's what he needed, and he knew it. And so the first thing he did is he fetched a light that the the darkness of his life, the lies that had had swallowed him him up all the years of his life would flee away. He needed a light. In a very real sense, he needed a light to get to the truth, didn't he? He called for a light. Next, it says he sprang in. This word sprang means he rushed in. He was excited. He was passionate. He hurried to get there. Third, salvation requires brokenness. It says that he came in trembling. He, he knew the utter, the utter desperation Of his life. He knew that. He had discovered it. He was trembling. He was fearful. And for salvation requires an acknowledgement of need. He says, What must I do to be saved? Now, listen to me. I I say all this because I think all of these things are crucial to knowing whether or not a person is ready to receive Jesus Christ or not. I think all of these things are really important, and we should be looking for, for people who have some or all of these things going on in their heart and their life. We need to be looking for this type of person. And I think in our day and age, when we know for a fact that young people have have a greater depression and level of anxiety and insecurity than any other previous American generation in a world of COVID and, you know, (laughs) social media and on and on and on and on and on, we know that people are desperate Now the question is, who are the people desperate enough to receive such a foolish, foolish message that we carry? Which leads us to our key point. Key point number three. The gospel is foolish to everyone. Except those who really need it. it I mean, the default setting of Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life. Sinless, the Son of God came into this world and he, he died on a cross, He shed His blood, and rose again the third day that He might save me from my eternal sin. The default of, of that gospel message is oh, that's foolish. That's a stupid, that's, um, that's, that's dumb. I've heard that before. You believe that? That's the default. except for those who are in need. And that message suddenly goes from foolishness to the greatest truth they've ever heard. And I'm telling you, I've seen this happen in the life of a person just like that. And we have to be looking. This is the point. We have to be seeking and looking for people who are desperate this way. And some of you in this room this morning, you're desperate in just this way. And I'll say this. I, wanna, I don't want to wait. I want to say this now. If you know for a, beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have a desperation in your soul, and you know that you're in need of someone to deliver you from your sin, do not leave this place today unless you've handled that. Listen to me. There's no victory over your circumstances absent my God. Please recognize the utter sinfulness of your sin and the fact that it separates you from a holy God and make the decision today to, to, to know and to understand that the gospel is truth and freedom for all who believe on it. Don't leave today unless you've, you've reckoned that true. Now, further, let's, let's continue on. Paul had a message to preach. When he realized that this man was desperate in this way, he had a message that he needed to convey. Amen? As do all of us who are believers, we have a message that needs to be conveyed to the desperate. Verse 31, and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. In other words, if you or anyone in your house simply believes on Jesus Christ as the Son of God, you'll be be saved. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in in his house. So, So what happened was, okay, what we can fill in, what's implied here is that in this moment... He heard this, that there was a message, there was a, a, this thing, this reception of Jesus Christ to the forgiveness of sins. He heard this, and he wanted to know more, so he took Paul and Silas, and he brought them back to his house so that everyone could hear. And then Paul and Silas took their time explaining what the gospel really meant. And so what, right here, I want to I point something out to you. For those of you who preach the message of Jesus Christ, I want you to understand that we got to be real careful about leading people in the sinner's prayer, you know, when you go out and hit the streets and, and there's someone that wants to hear and, and, and maybe they've got something in their life, maybe they're desperate and they want a way of escape and they're more concerned about the escape, the escape than actually knowing Jesus. If you lead them in a sinner's prayer, it's, you could actually do them detriment if they don't actually understand. They need to know that they're not looking for, for an opportunity to, to get to heaven real quick. Like, oh, that sounds really, that sounds really good. Let, let me get that ticket to heaven. They have to clearly understand that their sin separates them from a holy God. And the only way to get to him is through Jesus Christ and the decision to repent of our sin and make him Lord of our lives. That's the only way. And so what we see here is Paul and Silas take the time to explain and to teach those things, not just to this jailer, but to the whole house. They take their time which is why we do discovery bible method which is why we do creation of Christ because we want to, we want to make sure that the people that, who accept Jesus Christ as their lord and savior truly understand the impact of the decision that they're making Amen. are you with me so Paul didn't gloss over the gospel or lead them in a quick prayer he taught them and when the jailer came to faith he lived the evidence of his new reality Okay, so, listen to me. When someone gets saved, like really, really gets saved, that produces a change in their life. There's an immediate fruitfulness that we begin to see. Now, it's not doesn't mean that all of their problems go away and you know, you know, they immediately know how to escape the sins that, that have consumed their life for years and years and years. We're not talking about that. But there should be an an immediacy and change in their countenance and the way that they think. So check this out. We see in the jailer a fruitfulness and an evidence that reflects someone who's saved. Verse 33, it says, And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. This man's reaction to the gospel was evidence of his salvation. And we know that evidence of salvation is actually a really important thing. Matthew chapter 12 verse 33 teaches us that you're going to know a person and their spiritual state by the fruit of their life, the fruit that they produce. There's corrupt fruit, okay, fruit that looks like a lost person. And then there's righteous fruit that looks like a saved person. So look at, let's look at the jailer here. First of all, he washed their stripes. You see that? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, did I skip? Yeah, he washed their stripes. That's the first one. Sorry. Is it up there? Yeah, there it is. The proof, the evidence. He washed their stripes. Okay, so his service proved his faith. He ministered to these men. Have you ever seen someone get saved and immediately they want to find a way to help at the church? You ever seen that happen, that kind of transformation in a person? They're like, well, um, can I do something? Can I help in some way? I mean, I believe now, and I want to associate myself in some way with serving you. You've done so much for me, and, and I've got to find a way to serve you back. You've seen these people, right? Evidence of faith. Two, he was baptized. He was baptized. This is an evidence of faith. You know, it's not easy to come up here and get dunked in this tank, right? You know, a lot of people really struggle with standing in front of a crowd like this and, 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 and getting soaking wet, right, and having, having their shorts like right up into the crevice of their butt in front of everyone. No one really wants to do that, right? Like that's not something that most people are excited about, okay, when you think about it in terms of your flesh. It's really the act of doing that is, it, it has to be a spiritual one. There has to be an aspect of desperation. I have to obey God. And God said to do this, and I don't, like, this is what I got to do. This is what you want me to do? I'll do it. Seems weird. Getting wet in front of everybody. Seems weird, but you said it. Let's do it. And we know the beauty of that, right? It's a public display. It says, I associate myself with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is who I am now. Everyone, can you see that? That's what that does. And it is a proof, it's an evidence of one's salvation, their willingness to do that. He brought them to his house. This is a bigger deal than we realize, right? His faith is proven in his allegiance to these men. Now listen to me. These are Jews, these are Christians, and these are criminals. Now in a Roman Roman context, these men ought not be served and these men don't deserve the privilege of coming into your home. Does that make sense? And yet despite that, he favors them. He allies himself to them. He brings them into his home. And then it says he served them meat. His faith was proven in his personal sacrifice. Hey, here's something that I have to give you. I know you're hungry. Let me feed you. Let me, let me give of what I have here. Here. Took personal sacrifice. You know, he was giving of himself. This is what he knew how to do. An immediate proof. And then finally he rejoiced. It's so funny to me. You know, he learned worship in the prison cell. He He learned how to worship from Paul and Silas. And now as a disciple of Jesus Christ, he is praising the Lord. He is rejoicing. And it seems like a natural byproduct of his salvation. It just kind of comes out of him. He just can't help it. That's what they did. That's what I'm going to do. Hey, are you discipling praise and worship into those that you invest in? Just, just a question. Just a question. One's desire to do it is a proof and evidence of their salvation. Now, now, now here's, here's the deal. There's some of you in this room who believe that you're saved. Maybe you prayed a prayer a long time ago when you were a child, or, or over time you've been coming to church, you've been really working hard to convince yourself that you made a profession of faith, and you've been working so hard at it, you know deep down that you haven't truly repented of your sin. And beyond that, when we talk about these evidences of one's faith, these things that should be true of a person who's accepted Jesus Christ, you look at your life and you say, man, I don't know if those things are true of me. I don't know if those things are a reality in my life. And if I really assess myself, these evidences, they're just just not really there. I want to say to you, look, listen to me. You, You too can make a decision. Don't be so proud. I mean, you're... God values you so greatly. And your eternal livelihood... The destination of where you're going forever rides on whether or not you really have put your faith in Jesus Christ. You might believe intellectually, but have you believed with your heart? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? And if you haven't done that, then you are not saved. You are not saved. And you need to deal with that today. Now, It is not good enough for Paul to have simply made this investment. It's not good enough for Paul and Silas to have simply seen this jailer and his home, whole home, everyone in his family come to Christ. It's not good enough for him. Okay? Now, once Paul has the open door, it's his prerogative. It's a part of his mission. It's a part of the way that he thinks to prop it open. Yeah? There's a lot of door propping going on today. I don't know if you guys have gone to Quick Trip recently. But with COVID, no one wants to touch the doors. Right? No one, wants, no one wants to flush the toilets. You know, you're using your foot for that. I mean, I always did before, so I was practiced. Right? So I'm like... In the restroom. You know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> But see, Paul wants to prop the door open because it's his prerogative and his desire and his mission not to just see people saved, but to see disciples made and churches established. Okay, so check this out. Watch what happens. Acts 16.35 says, and when it was day, the magistrates, the guys that put Paul and Silas in prison, sent the sergeant saying, let those men go. Okay, we, this, whatever happened last night <clears throat> was not good. And we know that these guys are held up in your house. And our first command to you, okay, Roman guard, is to set those men free and force them to leave our town. Let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go, uh, you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. We love you, we thank you, but, but we're concerned about your life. They said go, so, so it's, time, it's time for you to go. Check this out. But Paul. <laughs> man. But Paul, stubborn man, said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned. In other words, we were beaten without any sort of judicial process. Being Romans, uh-oh, there's the curveball, and have cast us into prison, and now they thrust us out privily, nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. That's like, that's like playing king of the mountain, right? Come, yeah, okay. You come take us. Come take us. Now listen to me. This is an uh uh-oh moment for the magistrates because they just realized they messed up. See, Paul and Silas, these are Roman citizens. And Roman citizens, by law, got... At a, at a minimum got a trial, you are not allowed, just like in our society here, this is much like a democratic society, you aren't allowed to just beat someone down on the street without giving them due process, you can't just throw a person in jail unless there's an accusation to be made, right? You're not allowed to do that, and there are consequences for that, and when they realize that, they're in big trouble, they could, they could be removed from their position at a minimum, but they could be prosecuted themselves if, Ro- if the Roman government found out what they did, so they're in a strait. They recognize immediately what they've done. Now, I want to suggest something to you. Some people might say that Paul was leveraging his Roman citizenship here to fight some form of injustice, Roman injustice, right? Like, oh, look at Paul. He's using his citizenship and he's using his rights and he's fighting against the man. Now, I want to say something to you. That is not why he pulled this card, because if he, if that was his motivation, well, why didn't he say something when he was getting the beat down? I mean, that's bad logic. I mean, if I was getting beat down, and I knew that I could pull that card, and my objective was to preserve myself, then I would have mentioned that a long time ago. But that was not his motivation. Nah, 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 uh uh-uh. His citizenship was irrelevant, until the moment he had a small church to look out for. See now we see he has a reason to speak out. Paul is leveraging his rights and his citizenship to protect the fruit that God has established. Paul knows that if he's forced to leave in this moment that he has no idea what's going to happen to these young believers. They could be persecuted, they could be prosecuted. I mean at a minimum they could be, they could be um, you know, harassed and prevented from actually starting the fledgling work that needs to take place. Are you hearing me here? See, see Paul, Paul speaks up because his heart is to make disciples. And he knows that he, if he's sent away in this moment, he's prevented from making disciples. So here's my question to you. How many of you are so greatly concerned with preserving and protecting the fruit that God's given you, that you're willing willing to to fight for it? You're willing to... It's not good enough for you to just go through the open door and to see this person maybe make a profession or, or you know make some sort of decision for Jesus, it's not good enough for you. You want to prop the door open. You You want that work to continue. Key point, number four. Securing the growth of young believers is an ambition worth fighting for. It's worth putting yourself at risk for. Again, this is, this is another opportunity. Paul could have escaped here. He could have said, okay, enough is enough. I get it. God used us. This is cool. We, we, we saw people get saved in Philippi. This has been a great trip. Maybe we'll come back at some point. We'd really like to do that. But now that the magistrates have asked us to go, it's, let's take this opportunity let's go ahead and go. No, no, no. That wasn't, that wasn't enough for him. And this is why discipleship is so important. It's not good enough to, uh, for someone to just be born again. They have to be raised up. They have to be taken from infancy into adulthood. They have to be invested in so that the, the fruit doesn't get snuffed out. When the first temptation comes or the first trial comes, they don't turn and walk away from the Lord. They have to have roots that are established. And that is why we disciple. And that is why we don't call discipleship Sunday school. And that's why we don't, we don't, when we talk about discipleship, we're not talking about some ambiguous thing, something, oh, well, that's just like general investment of the church and everyone should take teaching really seriously. When we say discipleship, we're not talking about teaching. That's a facet of it. What we're talking about is pouring our lives into other people. So that it's a paternal act, it's a maternal act. This this is my child and I will not give them up so easily. Do you fight for your disciples that way that they might be secured in their faith and strengthened so that when the time comes that you have to go, they're ready? Verse 38, and the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates and they feared. Of course they did when they heard that they were Romans and they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city and they went out of the prison and entered in the house of Lydia and when they had seen the brethren they comforted them and then they departed. Now not until we're done with our business then we'll leave. So I mean if you want to walk around and watch us and check in on us you can do whatever you want we're not leaving this city until we've done what God called us to do. Do you have that kind of fight in you? Do you fight for people that way? Do you, do you cherish the work of discipleship that much? That's what we're called to. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come up. And as we do, to, I want to present to you an invitation. This is the part of a service where this is a call, this is a call to action on your part. This, a faith decision needs to be made. And so here's here's what I'm asking. First of all, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you recognize in your heart this morning a sense of desperate desperacy to know him, I want you to come forward because there's going to be counselors from the ministry standing up here, men and women who who want to talk to you about that. You may also be the type of person who has for a long time said that you're a Christian. Like if someone was to ask you, you would say, Yeah, I'm a Christian but the evidence of your faith has actually never been there, then I want to invite you to come up to work through that. And you might walk away today saying, you know what, I actually believe, but what I really need in my life is sanctification. I need someone to help me to believe and to believe more. I need someone to invest in me so that my faith would get stronger, and that's what I need. Awesome. But if you come forward and you recognize, look, my faith has been fake. And I'm, and I'm humble enough right now to acknowledge that. And, and I just need to put my faith in Jesus Christ. Man, praise God. The heavens rejoice over that. And we will rejoice over that with you. Lastly, you might be the person who senses greatly a, a call to put souls as a, as a primary aspect of your life. Like You know that you need to invest in eternal things. And you've been trying to do that, but you don't see the same grit in your life that we see in Paul and Silas. And that hurts you. And you want that to change? Come forward and pray with somebody. Pray that you might get that Holy Spirit grit that mission-mindedness, that unshakable and unbreakable mission-mindedness that we've been talking about for weeks now, that you might lay hold on that. Come pray about that. Come pray about that right now. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the strong and powerful testimony of Paul and Silas. God, we thank you for the story of this jailer. Lord, we thank you for the authority of your word, that it is inerrant and powerful and true and that the historical record that we took in today, that is, that is in every way as true as it, as it was the moment that it happened. And so, Lord, we, we say teach us from this. Lord, call us into action. Call us into faith. Lord, teach us what it means to truly follow you with everything that we have. We don't want to hold anything back. We don't want to be the type of Christian that simply escapes trial and suffering for our own sake. We want to be the type of believer that leans into suffering for your namesake. For your namesake. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in His Word. For more information about Kaya, for service times, and information about our disciple making ministry, please visit our website at caya.lib.